morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. It is a delight to welcome you and to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wanted to begin this morning with a moment of explanation. On Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, when we had our drive-in service, we included prayers for President Trump and the First Lady uh, as they began their battle with COVID-19. If you tuned in online last week, you'll notice that we didn't include that, and that is because we tape our services on Wednesdays, and the President did not test positive, and the First Lady did not test positive until Friday. So, of course, we want to uh, wish the President and First Lady a full and speedy recovery, uh, and our prayers are indeed with them and with all who are sick, all who are affected and infected by this terrible virus. May God bless them, God bless us, as we begin our time of worship this morning. Let us join together in our call to worship, reading responsibly. People of God, look around and see the faces of those we know and love. Neighbors and friends, sisters and brothers, a community of kindred hearts. People of God, look about and see the faces of those we hardly know. Strangers, sojourners, forgotten friends, the ones who need an outstretched hand. People of God, look about and see all the images of God assembled here. In each of us, God's spirit shines for all to see. People of God, come and let us worship God together. Oh, sure. 
Let us unite our hearts and voices in our opening prayer. Guardian of the seasons, keeper of every time, tune us so to your rhythms that we may know the occasion for stillness and the moment for action. May we be so prepared, so aware, so awakened in our waiting that when you prompt us into motion, our hands may be your hands and our purposes your own. Amen. And now I'd like to call for the attention of the children if they're watching with you this morning. Good morning. Today we are talking about a scripture lesson from the book of Exodus. In this particular part of the Bible, we learn a little bit more about Moses and Aaron. They were brothers. Moses was the younger brother of Aaron. Aaron was three years older. But Moses was kind of the big deal. Moses had some pretty special experiences with God. Uh, he's the one who went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God, and he brought them down and gave them to the people, and we talked about those last week. The first two of the Ten Commandments were that God said, first of all, I don't want anything else to take the place of me in your heart. I belong first in your heart. And secondly, he said, no more idols. Idols can't do anything for you. Only I can do things for you, God said. Well, the people forgot those first two commandments pretty quickly. Moses had come down from the mountain, but then he gets called back up again, and he's gone a long time this time, and the people don't know why. They start making up some ideas about where he might be, and, and, and they didn't have any leader to lead them, so... Uh, they asked Moses' brother Aaron to lead them. Now, Aaron was a priest. He went into the ministry, and he should have known better than to do what he did. But he still made a big mistake. He remembered that they really liked the gods that they would worship in Egypt when they were enslaved before God brought them out of slavery, and he remade one of those gods. He had everybody take their jewelry off, and he made a mold, and... They melted the gold and created a statue of a golden calf. And the people had a big party and they danced around the statue of the golden calf. Can you imagine how silly that must have looked? People dancing around a statue of a little golden cow. But that's what they were doing. And it made God mad and it made Moses mad when he came down and saw it for himself. And so we get a lesson about idolatry. That's what we're talking about today is idolatry. It's kind of a big word, but idolatry means giving something else God's place in your heart. God has a special place in our heart, in our lives, that nothing else can take the place of. But that doesn't stop people from trying to put, put things in, its, in that place instead. Um, so I was thinking about you know, some of the things that people put in that place. Some people rely on money. They find their security and trust in money or in things. But God says that he alone is worthy of our trust and love. So um, I was thinking today about the cartoon Peanuts, you know, with Charlie Brown and Linus and Lucy. And I thought about Linus's blanket. Linus's blanket, I'm 
using my jacket as a stand-in for the blanket because I don't have a blanket with me, but Linus carries his blanket around all the time. Linus carries his blanket to be a source of security. It's his security blanket. And, um, and if you ever watch the Christmas special, something really, really special happens in that, that half hour of TV. Charlie Brown is getting all sorts of messages about what Christmas is all about. And he finally says, well, just somebody just tell me what Christmas is really about. And Linus steps up and he shares the version of Christmas from Matthew's gospel. Uh, we find the birth of Jesus in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel. And he tells him the story from, from Matthew's gospel. And when he tells that story, he drops his blanket on the ground because even though he does like the cuddliness and softness of his favorite blanket, he is saying by dropping it while he is reading from or sharing the words from Matthew's gospel that he trusts God the most. The only other time he ever lets go of his blanket in the whole cartoon is when he wraps his blanket around the Christmas tree uh, when the community gathers to celebrate Christmas. So for the sake of community and for the sake of God, he lets go of his security blanket to let everybody know that God is most important to him. That's really what we're talking about today. What is most important to you? Is God most important to you or is something else more important than, you, than God? And if you are allowing something else to be more important than God, you need to kind of figure that out so that you can put God back where God belongs, which is at the center of our hearts and the center of our lives. Thank you. God bless you. Let us pray. As we listen for your word to us today, O oh God, we pray that your spirit will be our strength, your word will be our guide, your love will be our comfort, and your promises will be our hope. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf 
and have worshipped it, worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 22nd chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the first verse. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone to find you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. My younger brother and his wife love to travel. Their children do too, but when the children were elementary school aged, they didn't much like the process of traveling. They just liked the destination. Well, knowing when the children's school breaks were, my brother, who is the consummate bargain hunter, would start searching for off-season fares uh, and all sorts of good deals on airfare. Often, 
not caring where they went, he would get amazing last-minute airfares, affording them the ability to travel to gorgeous and exotic places like Thailand and Italy and Denmark and Croatia. Even though they were traveling to such special places, the children would whine the whole way. When are we going to get there? How much longer? I'm tired. I'm bored. I'm hungry. And it was a loop that just repeated every three to five minutes. Well, my brother decided to play a little trick on them and also teach them a little lesson. When the children asked about where they were going for spring break, my brother sat them down and told them that they would be going to Florida as a family, and when they got there, they would spend a week farming Brussels sprouts. The children were not happy, but my brother insisted that they learn that food doesn't just magically appear in grocery stores, and that it was important to learn how hard it is to grow the food, to harvest the food, and to ship the food. They were going to be traveling with friends of theirs who had children the same age as my niece and nephew, and my brother got them to tell their children the same story. They met at the airport and they flew to Florida together, the children on their unending loop of, when are we gonna get there? How much longer? I'm tired, I'm bored, I'm hungry. It was not until they actually arrived at the gates of Walt Disney World that they realized they'd been had. They all had a good laugh, but my brother also wanted them to share a little bit of the misery that they put everyone else through whenever they traveled, hence the bit about farming Brussels sprouts. I think of this story when I think about the Israelites in the wilderness. They've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Certainly the whole parting of the Red Sea event was enough to convince them that God was on their side. They knew that they were traveling to the promised land, a land filled with milk and honey, but it wasn't an easy journey. They would spend 40 years traveling in the wilderness, wandering, not for 40 days, not for 40 weeks, not for 40 months, but for 40 years. And of course, they whined and complained most of the time. When are we going to get there? How much longer? I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm bored. God heard them. God provided manna so that they would not be hungry. They got tired of it. They complained that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Slavery was not so much fun, but at least they knew what to expect. They knew what each day would bring. It would bring the same thing as yesterday and the day before that and the year before that. They knew there would be food. They worshiped Egyptian gods until that became familiar. They had to work hard, but at least they weren't bored and had something to do. God provided strong leadership in Moses. The Israelites caused Moses no end of grief. God was always sending signs that Moses was his guy and that they were on the right track. But the whining and complaining continued. God called Moses to the summit of Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments. They were laws not meant to oppress or burden the people, but rather to enable them to build a healthy community and healthy relationships with one another and with God. In my sermon last week, I shared Barbara Brown Taylor's retelling of the Ten Commandments in contemporary language. The first two were, Commandment 1, 
You shall have no other gods before me. In the first place, because I am very jealous of your affections. And in the second place, because gods with a little g cannot do anything for you. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, and you shall not give anyone my place in your hearts. Commandment two, no more idols. I made you in my image. Stop trying to make me in yours. You look silly bowing down to little statues that you yourselves have made. And besides, you don't need them. You've got me. Okay, so if they couldn't remember all 10, you'd think at least they'd be able to remember the first two. But in today's Old Testament text, we learn that they really blew it. Today's sermon is about idolatry. Frederick Beekner, another of my favorite authors, describes idolatry in this way in his book, Wishful Thinking. Idolatry is the practice of ascribing absolute worth to things of relative value. Under certain circumstances, money, patriotism, moral principles, loyalty, physical beauty, social or intellectual preeminence, and so on, are fine things to have around. But to make them the standard by which all other values are measured, to make them your masters, to look to them to justify your life and save your soul is sheerest folly. They simply aren't up to it. Well, this morning's Old Testament text begins with the figure of Aaron. We all know about Moses. Moses, who was rescued from a basket in the bulrushes, bulrushes by Pharaoh's daughter as an infant and adopted by her, chosen by God to lead the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses got to have extraordinary experiences with God, from his burning bush experience of hearing God speak to the powerful experience of the exodus from Egypt through the Red Sea to being summoned to receive the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Moses gets all the big headlines. Aaron doesn't. Aaron doesn't get the big headlines. He was the older brother of Moses. He was three years older than Moses. Aaron continually got the short end of the stick. Frederick Beekner writes that Aaron went quietly off into the ministry, where in the long run he didn't do too badly, except that the only people who ever heard about him were the ones who turned to the religion section on the back pages. Aaron always played second fiddle to Moses, and did so well enough until finally he got the break he'd been waiting for. And then he blew it. He blew it big time. That's where our Old Testament text this morning starts. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he was gone for a long time. The people had no idea why. Rumors started. They got restless. They whined a lot. They longed for the comfort of the familiar and they turned to Aaron for leadership. Now in no time flat, even given his extensive theological education and all of those years at denominational headquarters, he had them all take off their gold jewelry, made a mold, cast the statue, and soon had them all dancing around a golden calf. Well, this just makes God furious, and he plans to destroy the people until Moses reminds God of his promise. Moses says to God, turn from your fierce wrath. 
Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they will inherit it forever. And thankfully, our lesson ends with the good news that the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Moses calmed God's anger, but next week we will see that Moses himself got pretty angry. God had already told him what was going on, but when he comes down the mountain and sees the people worshiping a golden calf for himself, he smashes the tablets upon which the Ten Commandments were written. But then he comes back to his senses, senses God has forgiven, the law will be given again, the broken covenant between God and his people is restored, and Moses will make a request of God for a little bit of concrete evidence, a little confirmation that he is on the right track, a way to know for sure that God and his promises are for real, and God will deliver on that request. But for this week, we live with a text about the golden calf. The people sought the comfort of the familiar at an unfamiliar time. They were weary and they longed for the gods of Egypt, which they knew. It reminded them of a time when they knew security, when they knew what would happen next, the same thing that had happened the day before and hundreds of years before that day. Same old, same old. They wanted that back. And Aaron indulged them, casting a statue and calling for a celebration. That is when idolatry is most appealing. At times that are scary, unfamiliar, times of uncertainty and insecurity and fear, times of want and longing. We are in one of those times right now. In this time of COVID-19, we are separated one from another, physically distanced behind masks. We cannot gather as we once did for worship and we long to be together again. We are fearful. We are fearful of getting sick, of our loved ones getting sick. We are tired and we want to know when this will end. When will there be a vaccine? How long will it take for everyone to get it? And how long will it work? Will it work for a few months or forever? We don't know. Even then, there will be uncertainty and we are tired of it. Back in March, we started lockdown. In April, we were in disbelief that we could not gather for Easter worship. And then it became May, and then June. As protocols loosened, news stories of super spreader events at churches began to appear, as did stories about how people contracted the virus at extended family events, or in small gathering, gatherings with friends. And we realized that even the familiar isn't safe. The bishop issued lengthy protocols and churches adapted to different forms of worship, including online worship and drive-in worship. Students started online learning, which has changed the structure and rhythms of family. The summer passed and now at the beginning of fall, we are told that the death rate that has taken seven months to reach 210,000 Americans could double in just four months by the end of the year. And that now is the time to be especially cautious. 
people's weariness is evident. It's evident in the denial of people who throw caution to the wind. It's evident in blurbs on Facebook that say things like, one year does not actually equal seven years of a dog's life. The only year that equals seven years is 2020. This is exactly the kind of time when idols enter in, times when we are tired and fearful and uncertain, as were the Israelites. We want security. We long for the familiar. We miss one another. We want comfort that we can see and touch and understand. One of my seminary professors used to say that if you wanted to figure out what was an idol in your life, take out your checkbook and look at where your money was going. Or take out your calendar and look at where all your time really goes. But things have become more complex than that. An idol can be a website like Amazon that promises you whatever you want arriving at your door in two days. It can be a news network, a particular commentator or a columnist who cements your view of the world so that you feel the safety of the familiar again. We see people attaching themselves to conspiracy theories, to easy answers, to unhealthy or unhelpful habits, all in the quest for certainty in an uncertain time and comfort in an uncomfortable time. Remember what Frederick Buechner said, idolatry is the practice of ascribing absolute value to things of relative worth. The antidote to idolatry is to recognize that idols, things, have relative worth and that God alone has absolute value. In other words, the antidote to idolatry is to turn back to God and to see idols for what they are, unfortunate placeholders in the spot within us that belongs only to God. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that worship and praising God transform the world. The purpose of worship and liturgy, he says, is to remake the world. I never understood what that meant, but I'm finally getting it, I think. When you are always thinking and thinking about and thanking and praising God, when your heart is always open to God's presence and activity and grace, everything is different. It has been the experiences over the years that I've had in ministry standing beside and walking with dear people in the midst of difficult situations and terrible personal loss, the death of a spouse or parent or child, and hearing how faith and trust in God suggests in that moment, not despair, but gratitude for the gift of life, for the gift of life itself, and actually experiencing how, how praise transforms grief into thanksgiving. One of my clergy colleagues says that there are two kinds of people. There are whiners and there are praisers. Whiners can't let go of or stop whining about and talking about what's wrong with the weather, what's wrong with the auto industry, what's wrong with the music, the restaurant meal, the sports team that they follow, what's lacking and what is sure to go wrong tomorrow. And he says there are people who are so hopeful and grateful for what is, whatever it is, that they live in a different world, a new and better world, 
That, he says, is what he thinks the psalmist meant when he wrote, happy are those whose hope is in the God of Jacob. So here's a tough question for you to live with this week. What are the blessings that will come out of this pandemic for you? This morning's Old Testament lesson suggests that one blessing might be coming to terms with whatever is taking God's rightful place in your life. The pandemic is making those things easier to see, which should make rooting them out easier to do. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you today and always. Amen.
Walk like an Egyptian 